0: Welcome to the Lost Roman Heroes Podcast. My name is Matthew. And I'm Matteo. I know you're not liking that intro, but I think it's good to introduce ourselves. Okay. All right. Together, we're diving deep into the history of Rome, from its founding to its death, uncovering Rome's greatest heroes along the way, and we are ranking them. And in this episode, we're going to focus on a new candidate for hero, which is Marcus Furius Camillus. Now, Before we get going, I just want to say this is our second take. We had a take one, but one of the two of us was extremely sleepy. I work hard... All day long, so, you know, I'm entitled to my tiredness. At one point, I saw your eyes rolling back in your head, and I thought you were going to fall off the chair. I almost did. It's a good thing that,
1: you know, like humans, uh, their natural, like, human functions
0: to fall forward. So I had the table supporting me. Ah, so you fell forward on the table, and you didn't fall back. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Very nice. So so this is take two. We're going to take another crack at Camillus because we think that he deserves it. So, let's start out by orienting ourselves on the map again in history. We're still in the city of Rome, Matteo, where we ended our last episode. Episode? Little minutes sleep house, on me. <laughs> the last episode. <laughs> but now the year is 448 BC. And Camillus lived or overlapped a little bit with our last hero, Cincinnatus. He was about 18 years old when Cincinnatus died. And similar to Cincinnatus, we don't know a ton about him as a kid. So, right. But before we get into his background, I want to mention very briefly something that I think is important to all of these heroes of, of early Rome and the Republic, because they all have funky names. Remember last time we were talking about Cincinnatus? Cincinnatus wasn't his real name, it was a right. nickname. It was, and Brutus as well. Brutus was also a nickname, meaning dummy. And Camillus is not this guy's real name. His full name is Marcus Furius Camillus. Camillus is a nickname. So let's very quickly talk about Roman names. Roman names had three pieces. There was a prenomen, which was their first name, a nomen, which was the last name, and a cognomen or cognomen, or in Italian is cognome. In Latin it probably sounds like cognomen. And so, Matteo, Prenomen was the personal name, the first name, so Matteo is Prenomen. Nomen is Storm. And the Cognomen, which was becoming more and more important, was the last last name, which was something that was given. Yeah, exactly. It was given to you. Right. So, the reason why it was so important is because in ancient Rome at this time, there were only about 30 or so Prenomena, so only 30 names. And there were about 35,000 people. And Over time, by the first century BC, there were only a dozen first names. Which is crazy, no? So one of every 12 people, no, no, one of every 24 people share a name with each
1: other. Two of every 24 people.
0: Two of every 24 people? So 30 names, One, yeah, more or less. Something along those lines. That's crazy. And one of those 30 prenomena was your very favorite name of all times. My favorite name of all times? Oh, Queso. Yeah. So you could have lots of buddies named Queso. You probably did. And because everybody had basically the same first name, or so many people had the same first name, nicknames became very, very important. And hopefully over the course of this podcast, we can come up with a proper cognomen for you. For me? Yeah. All right. All right. So let's, let's keep our eyes peeled for opportunities. And let's get back to the life now of Marcus... Furious Camillus Camillus was born obviously during the early years of the Republic in four forty eight b c that's ten years after Cincinnatus was dictator for the first time and about ten years before Cincinnatus was dictator for the last time, and like a hundred years off the Macedonian War, first Punic War right. About a hundred, yeah, that's right. I think it's about a hundred years off. The I don't know about the Macedonian War, but the first Punic War, yes.
1: Same time. I think I thought it was no. You're, you're probably the Macedonian right. Macedonian War and the Punic War happened at the same time. No.
0: I, I don't even know. You're. I'm sure you're right. Because King I, I'm not sure
1: like sending messages. Maybe I'm wrong.
0: Well, maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're right. Check it out. So um, his nickname Camillus means priest's assistant. A little more than a hundred years off. Okay, it was about a hundred and no, it's more like two hundred. Nearly. Yeah, about 200 years, a little less than 200 years. So his gens, or his uh, family, uh, uh, oh my goodness, Nomen, was the Furii, and the Furii had been along, around in Rome for a very, very long time. But similar to Cincinnatus, we don't know anything about Camillus, and I'm going to call him Camillus for the rest of the episode, until he turned 48 years old. And at the age of 48, he was a consular uh, tribune, which is like a mini consul, leading troops into battle. And this is how Plutarch describes his arrival in the historical record. He was, Camillus was fighting against two different Etruscan towns, the Aquians and the Volscians, under a dictator called Postumius Tubertus. And this is how Plutarch I've describes it. always thought it. of it as
1: posthumous.
0: So, but in this case, it's, it's spelled P-O-S-T-U-M-I-U-S. So there's another spelling, which is P O S like T H I don't know. Whatever. I'm going to call it pastumius, even though it sounds funny. It is. So Plutarch describes Camillus as dashing out on his horse in front of the army. He did not abate his speed when he got a wound in the thigh. By dragging the missile along with him in its wound, he engaged the bravest of the enemy and put them to flight. So he sounds like a warrior. Very much like a warrior. Young. I think it's the first one we have so far.
1: I mean, Aeneas kind of—he was not a not a very good one. Kind of a a sussy.
0: A sussy. I mean, they—they all whipped him. Yeah, they did all whip him. Yeah, this. This guy sounds tough from the beginning. And maybe Cincinnatus was as well. We just... Well, I feel like he was more of a tactician. Because he was already an old guy by the time. He wasn't the one doing the fighting, you're saying? I, I, I wouldn't imagine yeah. so. Six years old. Yeah. That's, a, that's very, 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 very old. Ancient. For back then. You're right. Maybe this is the first guy we know of, other than Romulus. Romulus did some personal fighting. We think... Everything we, we don't really know. So, this was his first appearance on the stage, and he received very high honors after this battle. He was promoted to censor, and then in the year 396, he was promoted to dictator. So we keep getting this position of dictator over and over again in the early republic, and it didn't have bad connotations. It's crazy to like um, see how much it's changed today. Yeah. The word dictator. Today, it's not really a compliment. No. So he presided over as dictator over a 10-year siege against another Etruscan rival Matteo which was the city of Vei which I'm also definitely mispronouncing it's spelled V E I I and Vei was a city on a lake vey. in Etruria Vei Vei like Oive Vei Vei vey. so Vei was an Etruscan city on a lake and the Roman Senate, you know, after 10 years of siege, they were at wit's end and were trying to figure out how they could defeat the Ve, and they sent an embassy to Greece to consult the oracle at Delphi to ask the oracle, oh, great oracle, how can we crush our enemies? And the oracle was very clear. They basically said, you need to drain the lake. So it was a nice and practical Civil oracle. Task. Yeah, just drain the lake. Oh, okay. All right? Yeah, pretty easy for them. So pretty easy. And because the Romans were engineers at heart, it was pretty easy, or they found a way. They They drained the lake. Those screw things, right? I don't know if it was the screw things, but they have, archaeologists have found the remains of pipes in what used to be a lake bed. So the Romans engineered something involving pipes to divert the water away. An overnight sewage system? An overnight sewage system. That's um, just
1: the kind of thing you expect from.
0: I mean, the Romans lived for that stuff, you know. Yeah. There's a mountain in my way. I'll just bore a hole through it or level the top. The aqueducts. Or,
1: the way the aqueducts are constructed was actually so crazy. Insane. Well,
0: it was underground. We we need to we need to talk about that in one of these episodes. I'm yeah. sure we're gonna have. Maybe we a, should have out a special
1: episode of like Roman
0: um, engineering.
1: Yeah. I love that idea. Beats of engineering. Which is heroic. Yeah. Maybe like, maybe if we get to a certain amount of listeners, like. Obviously, we can't like, expect yeah. us to have hundreds of thousands of lists or anything like that, but if we reach a certain goal, we could do like, a special episode on like, feats of engineering or something like that. Well, I love that idea. We do like a- Hadrian's Wall, Aqueducts, um,
0: things like that. It doesn't even have to be Roman, but for, like, from like, the past, like Archimedes. I would love to include Archimedes as well. He could sort of tag along in the maybe, Roman story.
1: Maybe when we finish... Or maybe, like, when we, yeah. when we finish Roman Heroes, we could do, like, ancient engineers and architects stuff like that.
0: Love it. Write it down so we don't forget. I think that's uh, a I really remember. great idea. Yeah, it's getting, po- getting posted. All right. That's true. We're recording this, so it won't be forgotten. We don't need to write it down. So, Camillus managed to drain the lake, and with the help of his master of the horse, whose name was Cornelius Scipio, and the Scipio clan is coming back a big time. A little unknown name. A little unknown name, perhaps at that time, but coming back big time in some episodes to come. They stormed the city, and destroyed the resistance. Sold all of the citizens into slavery. Oh, nice! <laughs> it's very gentle, a very kind, very kind uh, mm, treatment of the vanquished. I mean, how could you not? Yeah, how could you not sell them into slavery? That's just that what was the thing are you that gonna was do done. To let them go? No, you're not going to let them go, man. This war. Not only did he sell them into slavery, but he managed to convince the goddess of their city, of the Vei, who was named Juno Regina, to come back to Rome with him.
1: That's like bullying at that point. That is a, a no, no, feat. Not only
0: do you sell them into slavery, but you take their you goddess. You take their goddess as well.
1: Jeez. Yeah, come oh. back
0: to Rome with me. Presumably the goddess had free will, but she decided to go with him. She knew a good thing when she saw it. So Camillus got back to Rome, and he was given a triumph for Matteo which is the first time I think we've talked about triumphs. I think it is, as well, actually. So they're receiving a triumph, pretty big thing. Big thing, so he got back, got to parade around on top of horses, and what to the show attention. the spoils of war, and there was one little problem with this, because he, it was granted to him, it was an honor, and yet something about the way he behaved didn't sit well with the public, because according to Plutarch, Camillus was lifted up to vanity, and he cherished thoughts far from be- becoming to a civil magistrate subject to the law, and he celebrated a triumph with great pomp. He actually had four white horses harnessed to a chariot in which he mounted and drove through Rome, a thing which no commander had ever done before or afterwards did. Mm. So it went to his head a little bit. A little self-embezzling. a little self-embellishing.
1: That's the word I was thinking. yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it was. So I think this probably becomes much more common later in the Republic and definitely in imperial times, but this was the first time Rome had seen this, and the Romans didn't love it. But he was still the big man on campus. He was still the general, and Rome still had enemies. So shortly thereafter, Camillus was sent back into the field in charge of the army. This time he was a military tribune, and they were fighting against another Etruscan rival, rival, Oh, the a
1: military tri- a tribune, sorry, yeah. is only for. Correct me if I'm
0: wrong, but it's only for six months, right? A Six month period. That's the dictatorship. Dictators no, are, is are only a elected a military for military tribune's only for a year, right? I, it's definitely for a finite period of time. I think it might be a year, like like a consul. Yeah. But I'm not so. certain. Yeah. We're gonna have to look that up. So while while my associate here is looking that up, I'll continue. The Felici were based in Tuscany, and this was the other Etruscan rival, and he laid siege to their town called Faleri. And so he laid siege, he surrounded the town with the army, and he was getting ready for a long war. You know, he had just finished a 10-year war against another Etruscan rival, and now he was getting ready for a long war against the Felici when, lo and behold, Matteo, one day a crowd approaches the Roman camp. But it wasn't a normal crowd it was a bunch of kids nice it was a bunch of children of the Felici students and they were being led by their teacher basically the teacher had defected to the Romans the schoolmaster had defected to the Romans he took the kids hostage and said hey Camillus guess what you have some hostages this is going to go down really well you can use them however you see fit because I believe in Rome what a friendly neighbor nice guy yeah nice teacher oh yeah and Camillus looked at this situation, which could have been seen as a great opportunity. You know, hold these kids hostage, make the children, make the parents basically... Give the city and... Yeah, squirm. Yeah. But Camillus did not do that. He did not like this one bit, my He's too good of a guy. He was too good of a guy. He saw... He said that the schoolmaster had breached uh, a sacred bond and a responsibility for taking care of these children under his custody and he took...
1: He was probably, probably all rich people's kids too, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, not many people were educated back
0: then. Yeah, these, this was, these were the aristocrats' kids. And he made... So he took the schoolmaster prisoner and had the children basically march the guy back to their parents. And Camillus was with them and said, I refuse to take part in this. And the parents were so grateful when their children came home that they basically surrendered the city. He won the war. Which then became part of Roman territory? It became part of Roman territory. so Which
1: just means it was like a protectorate, right? Because back then it was still a city-state, no?
0: Yeah, they didn't get Roman citizenship right away. Eventually they would become Roman citizens as everybody in the Italian right. peninsula would. But at that point, they became an ally of Rome. Uh, and he won the war without shedding a drop of blood. And then he came back to Rome, and this guy was expecting another grand spectacle, right? I want to parade through town again. I just won a war without drawing a sword. But he didn't get the grand spectacle. And in fact, Matteo, there was a problem. Mutiny in the ranks. Mutiny in the ranks. Back in the old days, when soldiers won a war, one of the big reasons why they went to war was what? Uh, A nice payday. A nice payday at the end of it. And in and this time, before the Marian reforms, they
1: didn't have, a guaranteed, um, they didn't have
0: a, a guaranteed purse, right? They didn't have a guaranteed salary. I think that's true. They did not have a guaranteed salary. So this was all about, we're going to sacrifice our lives, but at the end of this, we should get some good loot. But there was no loot because they won peacefully this war. And a conspiracy began, Mateo. A bunch of soldiers and perhaps more senior members in, uh, amongst the patricians started to organize a smear campaign against Camillus, and they brought legal charges against him. Basically saying that there was loot, but Camillus must have stolen it. And so they accused him of taking funds that were destined for the state and for the army and using it for...
1: Maybe Camillus wasn't very
0: politically savvy. You get that sense. Yeah. You get the sense that he could have handled this more astutely, and probably acted more,
1: uh, and probably acted a, a little smarter from the beginning, because this, this goes back to when he, he was kind of making a whole show of himself during the, during the the Tribune.
0: Yeah, no, when he was a dictator and they won against the Vague.
1: No, when they gave him his his, uh, his
0: triumph, his triumph. Ah, yeah, his triumph. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, the triumph rubbed people the wrong way. He was putting himself above everyone else. Yeah, so he's and made
1: these mistakes before.
0: He was, he, was inviting, he was inviting the trouble. So instead of waiting for the result of the legal trial, he decided to put himself into exile. And according to Plutarch, he kissed his wife and son goodbye. He left his house, went to the gates of the city, and said a little prayer saying, basically, I hope the Romans come to their senses and I can someday return to my country, but for now, I need to go. And he left. And he left. He
1: left his wife and
0: son, too? Yeah, he did. He left everybody. And he left at a very, very, very bad time for Rome. Because somewhere across the Alps, trouble was brewing. There was a man, Matteo, named Brennus. You're you're rocking back and forth on your chair. I was supposed to yeah, <laughs> yeah Brennis. <laughs> so there was a guy named there was you know the Celts, right? Obviously. The Celts stretched from Scotland down Spain. to to and, and into Eastern Europe as well, into Turkey. So amongst the Celts in France, the Celts were called the Gauls. And amongst the Gauls in France, in northern Gaul, there was a tribe called the Senones. And the chieftain of the Senons was a guy named Brennus, who was a badass, which is a technical term. If you go to our website, www.LostRomanHeroes.com, you'll see a picture of Brennus, Mateo. And to me, Brennus looks like, uh, I would say... Someone that came from Asgard. Jeez. Brennus looks like somebody, literally, that came from Asgard. Like he could throw thunderbolts with one hand. No problem. So Brennus led his tribe of the Senones across the Alps down into Italy. There was an Italian tribe called the Umbrians that tried to... Those guys were around for a while. They were around for a long time. Uh, The Umbrians didn't stand the chance. They got pushed out by the the Senones. And these Gauls then took over the eastern Adriatic coast around modern Rimini and Ancona. But that wasn't enough for Brennus. He wanted more. Matteo, and they pushed into the heartland and invaded Etruria. And you know, the Etruscans were not to be trifled with. They were. Oh, yeah, of course.
1: Not. They were kind of a mini powerhouse back then.
0: They were definitely a mini powerhouse. They were the only real uh, nemesis that Rome had in the Italian peninsula. And the Gauls. Well, at first it was their, 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 their masters. They were their masters, most definitely. At this point. I think still Etruria was a little bit on the on the decline, but they were still they're
1: still stronger than Rome at this point.
0: They were still stronger than Rome, yes. They were still very powerful. And so Brennus laid siege to Clusium, which is the modern town of Cuse, and that's only eighty miles north of Rome. Rome knew that they had an issue. They were aware of this invasion, and Clusium appealed to Rome and said, Guys, you gotta help us. So Rome sent some ambassadors, a guy named Quintus Fabius Ambustus and his two brothers. Numerius, and the Mexican cheese. Queso. Queso is back. And so these three brothers were supposed to help negotiate some amicable settlement between the Gauls and the Clusians, or the, 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 the Etruscans. But instead of doing that, they gathered troops and they helped organize the town of Clusia to fight the Goths. And in the ensuing fight... The Goths? Excuse me, not the Goths. Sorry, the Gauls. In the ensuing fight, one of the very senior Gauls was murdered. And you can imagine, Brennus was absolutely furious. He had agreed to a peaceful negotiation, and I agree the, Ro- too. the Romans had violated the terms of, of he the was, peace. He was being a big man. He was being a big man. And the Romans were being. And they kicked him in the sandpit. Yeah, they kicked him in the sandpit. Yeah, agreed. It wasn't nice. And he was very upset. And he was so upset that he did what you would imagine kill everybody. And then? Siege Rome. He marched on Rome. So the Romans were aware that, this, that the Gauls were marching on their city. And they sent out an army, Matteo, to meet the Gauls before they could reach the city. And these two forces, the Gauls, which was basically all the male members of the tribe of the, the Senones, and the Romans met on a little tributary of the Tiber River called the Alia it's not clear how many soldiers were involved, but Rome was a town of 35,000 people. You can imagine the army could not be very big. There are some exaggerated accounts saying that the Romans sent out 20 or 25,000 men, which is impossible, Uh, and most people think that the real number of Roman soldiers in that army sent to meet the Gauls was around 4,000 people. The Senones were around 12,000. The thing is that the Romans did not expect these barbarians to be upon them quite so quickly. The Romans, when they were. Because they're
1: used to a bunch of lazy Italians.
0: <laughs> exactly. They're like, ah, we got to the time. Uh. Yeah, we a little, a little bit of sun tanning before the battle. You know? <laughs> so they had not done anything. They didn't set up a camp. They didn't build defensive ramparts. They didn't say their prayers. And all of a sudden, the Gauls were upon them, attacked them, and destroyed them. According to Plutarch, it was a disorderly and shameful battle. And after the Romans lost, not only were they crushed, but they didn't send word back to Rome about what oh. happened in the battle, and the soldiers didn't return to Rome. Instead, they fled to, to Ve. Vegas. Or v. Vegas. Vegas. They fled to Vegas. And, and what happens in Vegas... It stays in Vegas. It stays in Vegas, Mateo. So back in the city of Rome the The residents of the city had the gates wide open, and they were waiting for the men to come back and they see a bunch of a bunch
1: of long, tall blonde guys coming that they, they saw kids.
0: yeah, they saw Brennus, who basically looks like Thor with his with his sidekicks you'd probably be able to smell him before you could see him <laughs> I'm sure that's the case yeah. I'm sure that's the case, so. The the Gauls arrived at the city of Rome at nightfall, and they saw the gates open. They said, this is too good to be true, but let's wait until morning to attack because we don't want to fall into a trap. So the Romans had overnight to get ready for what was to come. And what did they do? It doesn't sound terribly heroic. They ran. First, the senators and the few soldiers that that were in the city, they climbed the Capitoline Hill, there was a fortress on top and they barricaded themselves in the fortress on the top of the Capitoline. Right. Most other people left the city, and they went to the Janiculum, which is another hill, but just across the Tiber River, uh, but it was considered not a part of the city of Rome. But there was some, like, crowd of old-timers, patricians, that said, this is my town. I'm not going anywhere. If you want it, come and get it. So... That's pretty Italian. Ah, badass. Yeah. So the next morning, the sun rose, and Brennus led his 12,000 men into the city of Rome, and the gates were open. And this is what he saw. First, he saw a beautiful city, because these guys, they were barbarians. I mean, they probably lived in huts. And they were going into a city that was made of brick with elaborate temples, And the patricians and the senators had beautiful homes, at least compared to what they were seeing. And in front of the patricians' homes, the patricians themselves were outside, sitting in chairs, waiting for these invaders, basically saying, you know, show me what you got. That's so Italian. It's awesome. And Livy has a great quote, which is, as the Gauls were walking into the city, they were blown away by how beautiful it was and how imposing the patricians were. The patricians were sitting in front of their houses looking like statues. And everything was going sort of fine. You can imagine at this super awkward moment you have 12,000 barbarians just kind of walking around the city. Nobody's throwing a punch yet. Yeah,
1: a bunch of old, oil, oil, oily
0: guys are just sitting in front of their their houses staring at them with their arms crossed. Yeah. And nobody's talking to anyone. It's like, who's going to speak first here? And then... The problem begins. There was a patrician named Papirius. This is a guy who was, let's say, 70 years old. He lived a long, hard life. He wasn't going anywhere. And a Gaul approached him and started stroking his beard because the Romans, the Roman patrician class at that point, had very, very long beards. So the Gaul comes up, starts stroking his beard, whereupon Papirius grabs his ivory staff and waxed the Gaul over the head with it. So Papirius the was the first one to die. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he was the first one to die. That was the end of him. And that's when the bloodletting began. All the patricians were butchered by the, by, the, by the Gauls. The Gauls started raping, and pillaging, and stealing, and lit the city on fire. And that was basically the end of the city of Rome was completely wiped out, but the Gauls weren't going anywhere. They spent seven months in the city because there was still resistance on the top of the Capitoline Hill. And that's probably where the money was as well, with the Senate and the fortress. And so uh, the Gauls made many attempts to take the Capitoline until finally one night, they managed to get most of the way up the Capitoline Hill. And the man in charge of the defense of the Capitoline that night was a guy by the name of Marcus Manlius Capitolinus. Who was a former consul of Rome. And he couldn't see their approach, but all of a sudden, geese on the top of the Capitoline started squawking because they used to keep geese up there. The god Juno loved geese, apparently. So they had a flock of geese up there, and the squawking geese alerted Marcus Manlius Capitolinus to the Gauls' approach, and he sounded the alarm, and the army was able to throw the Gauls back off the cliff, and they maintained. Uh, the defense. However, the siege continued. They were by no means free, and that's, while that's happening in Rome, Camillus was not in Rome, we know, but he was now in a town called Ardea, which we heard of before in the days of uh, LJ Brutus. And The Gauls started approaching Ardea as well because they weren't content to just take Rome. They wanted to take the whole area, and the neighboring towns started raising men And they, including men that were survivors from the Battle of Alia, and they approached Camillus and said, Hey, buddy, will you take control of the army? (laughs) Do us
1: this one little favor.
0: Do us this one little favor and beat back the Gauls. And Camillus said something incredible. What do you think he said? No. He said no. (laughs) But he said no for an interesting reason. Not because he was a chicken, because we know he's not a chicken. He said no because the Roman Senate had not declared him dictator. The Roman Senate had not said that we want you to command the armies. This was basically an illegal move. And he wanted to follow the letter of the law.
1: He was getting his political savvy up a little bit. Yeah. He,
0: he was, he was getting, he's not quite so tone deaf. And then he does something even more amazing. He hops on a horse. He rides back to Rome. And when he gets there, he realizes he can't get into the city because... It's controlled by the bad guys. Right. So he swims across the Tiber River. Right observation. Manages to sneak up the Capitoline Hill and approaches the Senate and said, guys, I'm here, I'm ready to help if you want me to. And the Senate, <laughs> the Senate wanted his help. So they appointed him dictator and he left Rome to raise an army. In the meantime, the Gauls said, enough is enough. Rome, let's negotiate your surrender. And Brennus negotiated with a guy named Quintus Sulpcius, or Sul- Sulpcius. Sulpcius?
1: Sulpcius? Sulp- I like that. That Sulpius. sounds good. No, let's go with it Sulpcius. wasn't a C
0: pronounced like a K back Sulpius? then. Sulpcius? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's Sulpcius. Quintus Sulpcius rec- uh, represented the Romans, Brennus represented himself and the barbarians, and they negotiated Rome's surrender. And the price of surrender, the price of peace, is that the Romans were going to pay a thousand pounds of gold for wow. the Gauls to leave. That's crazy which is, as bad as that sounds, Brennus was a shrewd and sneaky dude. He used weights that had been doctored and so that the Romans wound up paying much more than a thousand pounds of gold. And when the Romans found out and complained, he basically said, tough noogies. He actually said, woe to the vanquished. And basically, you can't do anything about it. So the Romans started collecting the gold and they were about to hand it over. When? What happens? Boom! Sick attack. Boom! Camillus, Camillus is back with the army. And Camillus approached Brennus, and you you get the sense that they're standing in the forum, and this was the end of the negotiation. I get the city. I'm not entirely certain, <laughs> but he did have an army, so presumably he he was able to force his way in. I I don't know. All in just a, in a, uh, a I don't swift know. little move, and nobody heard anything. Or maybe he walked in by himself. It's a good question. I don't really know, but. Camillus approached this negotiation. He approached Brennus and said, Hey, buddy, you may look like Thor, but that agreement is illegal and we're not going to pay. Boom. And Brennus said, Why aren't you going to pay? And Camillus said, Because only the dictator can make the settlement. I am the dictator. I wasn't here. And so the deal's off. And he said specifically in Latin, I'm going to butcher it, forgive me. I don't know Latin. Non curo ferro recuperanda es patria. Which basically means, not by gold, but by iron, is the nation to be recovered. Now, I'm not going to buy back our freedom. I'm going to win it back at the point of my sword. Plata o plomo. Plata o plomo. That's what Pablo Escobar said. Yeah. But I think it comes... Is it, but, was that originally Pablo Escobar?
1: No, I couldn't tell you. Okay. Maybe not. Maybe <laughs> it was know. like Simón
0: Bolívar or something Yeah, like that. I, I sort of... Uh, I don't know. I'm not even going to invent. <laughs> so, the war ensues. Basically, the Romans then fall upon the Gauls, and under Camillus's personal leadership, they destroy the Gauls. And then he sets about rebuilding the city, which, remember, had been left in ashes, and that is why this guy is known as pater patriae, father of the nation, and really a second Romulus. And this moment is considered the second founding of the city of Rome. Pretty incredible, no? That is pretty incredible. It's a good story. So his story doesn't end there. He was elected dictator again a few times. In 384, he had to put down an insurrection started by our friend and the friend of the geese, Marcus Manlius Capitolanus. What do you do? He wanted to be king. Tale as old as time. It is, and we'll see this again and again and again. And so I find it kind of incredible that to put down a guy that wants to be king you make a dictator.
1: Again, it's crazy how, how much that role has changed since 400 BC. Yeah,
0: C. it was a noble thing, once upon a time.
1: Yeah, just strictly a political position in times of emergency. In
0: times of emergency, and it was respected. Yeah. And it was respected for 500 years until... And its role was respected by the dictator too, they, know, they wouldn't take advantage of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly right. The dictators didn't take advantage of the role until one guy. Well, he
1: wasn't the first.
0: Caesar wasn't he? Wasn't Sulla? Yeah, wasn't Sulla kind of the first? You might be right. We're going to have to investigate that when we get to him. At any at any rate, Manlius was captured by Camillus. Camillus had him arrested. He was thrown into jail. He had a trial, and then Camillus had. Manlius thrown from the Tapian Rock to his death. And the Tapian Rock, Matteo, is an 80-foot-high cliff off the Capitoline Hill, which still exists. And if you go to our website, www.lostromanheroes.com, you can see it. And it would n- oh, wow. I would not want to fall off that thing. It's like that song, uh, Free Falling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Manlius went free-falling af- off the, uh, af- the, uh, the Tapian Rock. And... Camillus showed up a couple other times in history and eventually died around 365 in an epidemic. And that is the story of the That's second a founder sad way to of go Rome. Out. It is. It is. It's not a great way to go out. Um, but and, what are you going to do? But what it's you four, gonna do? It's
1: 400 BC? What are you going to do?
0: 365 BC. And he lived long. I mean, all, all these guys that we've talked about in these first episodes lived a remarkably long time given. Uh, the state of of medicine and, and average lifespans, so Camillus lived from four forty six to three sixty five. How many years is that? Eight
1: years. Eight
0: years. Four, four That's seventy nine years, or eighty one years. <laughs> one of the two. I love making you do math on the spot on the podcast. I think it's lots of fun. My teachers are going to listen to this. No, but you, I think you you've acquitted yourself pretty well. That's eight, I think that's eighty one years. And that is his story, Mateo. So it is time to rank him. And let's start out talking first about his military success. On a scale of 0 to 10, what would you rank this guy?
1: Man, I think like an an 8. He couldn't have been more successful, but there are people that have done cooler things.
0: And there are people that have done things on a much grander scale.
1: He personally, he couldn't have been more successful. He was the most successful that he personally could have been. But in comparison to other people that we will be ranking, he can't take like the number 10 spot. That's inflation. Yes. We're going to inflate the, the, the ratings.
0: Yeah, it's not his fault that he didn't have a bigger stage to have acted upon. Yeah. He did probably as well as he could, given the circumstances. But I am agreeing with you. I don't think he's a 10. You're calling him an 8? I'm thinking... I'm thinking that's about right. I'm gonna call him an eight as well. So now let's talk about his political success.
1: He was not the brightest guy politically.
0: Yeah, he had kind of a tenure. Like he didn't he didn't pick up on Social Cues. The social cues, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had yeah, he had low sort of emotional intelligence, it gonna, seems like. I'm
1: gonna give him a six personally.
0: Yeah, you know what? I, I think I'm gonna give him a six too. I may give him a six and a half Because one of the things that happened, Mateo, and I didn't mention this when he was, um, I believe when he was a dictator, I believe, but it was definitely during the period of time in which he was the guy. He made a change to the law in which the plebs could also serve as consuls. So starting from that time, there were always two consuls each year elected for one year terms. One would be a patrician and the other would be a pleb, and that's a big deal.
1: Yeah, you know, I'll put a 6.5 too then.
0: Okay, let's go to, six, let's go to 6.5, both of us in that. Um, next, what is his cool factor, his cool hero factor?
1: I think I'll give him a 7. Because, I mean, stealing someone's god and enslaving their whole city after defeating them in a battle is pretty cool. Uh, having a triumph throne for you, pretty cool. But Winning a
0: warrior without drawing blood? That's pretty cool. It's pretty
1: cool. But, like, nothing that's knocking my socks off, you know? It's like, <laughs> all right, pretty solid, but, you know, okay, definitely going to see cool there.
0: And the fact that he stood up to Brennus and said, I'm not going to win the piece with gold, I'm going to win it with iron, that's a pretty cool line.
1: That is cool, yeah. But it's like, he also said, uh, when he got there, what did he say? Because the dictator's not here. He then had, he had to explain yes. his line. That was, that's like, true. That's when you explained the joke. yeah, before. yeah. yeah
0: before. You're right. There's kind of like an awkward moment where where, where everybody's standing around the forum, the barbarians, He's the just Romans. uh uh-huh. yapping about how uh-huh. <laughs> the
1: dictator needs to be there to... He's like,
0: no, let me explain. Let me explain. This is what I really meant. Come on. Okay. So that took away a little bit. I agree. So what are you saying he gets? Maybe a seven, I think. Seven? I'm cool in this? Or six and a half? I think that's... Let's go for another six and a half on this. All right. I agree. I'm not... Because the I way think I think, we've of, been inflating these numbers. We right? have been massively great inflating. Yeah, it's either like a one or a ten. Yeah. Like look at the first one. Yeah, Jeez. I think we might wind up getting like deeper into this podcast and having to go back and re-rank the first couple guys, or maybe. maybe not. We'll see. We'll oh see no, how things so. go. But six or six and a half. I say six and a half. Okay, you go six and a half. I'm gonna go six. Now, his impact. What is his lasting impact on the world? I think the first time around I
1: gave him an 8 and I think I'll probably give him a 7.5
0: yeah when you were half asleep before you gave him an 8 and I did too and I'm thinking so my take on it he did he save Rome? Rome was destroyed yeah Rome was destroyed he just recovered it he helped to recover Rome he just he saved the senators he did save the Senate, and he helped to rebuild Rome but I feel that if it weren't him, somebody would have st- stood up. Yeah. I somebody so. would have helped to rebuild.
1: Or If not, they would have just paid off the barbarians and like they would have, it would have sucked for a while, but yeah. Rome would have uh, picked up the pieces eventually. So.
0: I, I tend to agree with you. And so despite the fact that the Romans themselves, so if you read Livy and Plutarch and, and these guys that were writing in the time of Augustus, they made a really big deal about Camillus calling him the second Romulus, but I, I'm a little, less, a little less impressed, and I'm with you. So you're going to give him a what? I think a seven. You're going to give him a seven, and I'll do the same. I don't think we can go less than seven. But I don't think we could really go. But I eight. agree, I don't think that we can go more, so I'm, I feel good with that. So that gives him a total score, Mateo, of a 55.5. 5. That is a 69%. And just to give you a sense of where that fits in our rankings, he's done better than Aeneas, and he's done a little better than Romulus, but he's way behind LJ and Cincinnatus. And to me, that sort of feels right. Yeah,
1: that that feels right to me, too.
0: Okay, good. So, then the final question, does Camillus belong in the Hall of Heroes? Yeah. Are you convinced? I mean... He's
1: like a, he's like a lower tier, like, B grade, maybe A, B, C grade hero.
0: Right now, LJ is there, LJ Brutus, and Cincinnatus. And I have to tell you, I'm feeling a little torn on Camillus. I don't know.
1: Maybe he doesn't have, like, the master suite villa, but he, he's like,
0: he's, you know? But he belongs. He's there, like, you know? On the edge. You know? He's there. He's there. I agree. I I think if Augustus said this guy was a rock star... He must have been pretty great. Then I I agree with you that we have to... He gets gets a pass. He gets a ticket to the Hall of Heroes. So, Camillus... Maybe not first ballot, second ballot Hall of Famer. (laughs) Yeah, maybe he's a second or third ballot Hall of Famer, but he belongs. So, Camillus, congratulations. A life well lived. You have made it into the Hall of Heroes. We'll give you you a little clap. Woohoo! Yep. And salutations, salutations, Camillus, Matteo. This is Kudos. your favorite part, and it's really tricky for these very early guys. This is the time to discuss briefly the alternative history. What might the world, our world, have been without Camillus?
1: I mean, kind of like we already said. I think ro- without Camillus, someone else saves Rome, or more likely, the Senate is forced to pay off this ransom for their own lives and the city and brennus leaves and rome maybe is a little impoverished for a decade or two or three but then they kind of pick the pieces back up together and they keep uh resuming their regional dominance and the rest probably just works out the same i think
0: my question is would rome have been ready to take on the Carthaginians 150 years from now or 200 years from now yeah. where they have been really set back and maybe would have been forever a pawn or not a pawn but a junior partner to
1: no I don't think so because I mean they, they don't really they, they don't lose their regional standing I mean Brennus is running through the whole region you know all of Italia so I don't think that I think post Brennus, they're still someone to be trifled with in, in Latium so I think they get, they get their whole operation moving.
0: So, in other words, you don't see the great arc of history being terribly different had a Camillus not existed.
1: Yeah, because the, they couldn't—okay, we're talking about the First Punic War here. They, they didn't—they were not able to compete with Carthage because of financial reasons. It's because of were like, maritime idiots.
0: That's true. They were maritime idiots. That's very well put. That's a good summation. All right, we're going to get into I mean, that. They,
1: they built like three whole fleets, like, and they got wrecked every time. Yeah. It wasn't a my financial. Thing. Yeah,
0: I look forward to talking about that. Matteo's talking about the first and the second Punic Wars, uh, and and the third, and we're going to be talking about all of them in the context of heroes to come. But I agree. I agree with you. The world likely would not have been too terribly different, but... He belongs in the Hall of Heroes. He is there. And that is Camillus. And that is this episode. And now it's time to wrap up. But, Mateo, before we wrap up, I'd like to do what is sort of becoming a tradition on the podcast, which is, first of all, a thank you to everyone that's been listening. We are profoundly grateful. Like, we're hearing from you via our website. We're getting messages. We're getting... Notes on TikTok. No, not on TikTok. What are you talking about? Sorry, I don't know, I don't know where Mad went.
1: Apple Music?
0: No, no, no. I was going to say on, on Twitter. We're on Twitter. Please visit us at Lost Roman Heroes. Uh, we're getting messages from people on uh, Twitter and likes on Instagram and all this good stuff. Please reach out to us because we love hearing from you. It really feels good. And our listenership continues to grow, which is also extremely cool. This week we have. One new listener from France, Uh, Bienvenue. We have five downloads in Canada, which is pretty cool. Far and away the leader is the United States, and in a very solid number two spot in terms of our listenership is Colombia. Colombia, keep it coming. We love it. So uh, I would also like to, Mateo, read... One or two reviews because these are the things that really, I don't know, I just think it's so cool. I love hearing from people that are listening to the podcast. And I'd like you to read the first one. All right. Titled Lost Roman Heroes, Matthew
1: and Matteo. An amazingly informative podcast with a great premise. I particularly love how they tie in the history of Rome with what the world would look like without Rome's
0: heroes. Five stars. I uh, really appreciate it. LRH Romulus. So that was one that was just posted today, which is So Cool, or Yesterday. And I'm going to read one, too, which was just posted in the last few days uh, by AA13AA13, called Lost Roman Heroes. Matthew Mateo, father and son, do a splendid job of bringing the stories of the lost Roman heroes to life. This podcast is entertaining, educational, engaging, and so easy to listen to. The back and forth between father and son on Roman historical knowledge is fresh, funny, and fun. The three F's. I love that. I really can't wait to hear more. Keep it up, guys. Bravo. Thank you so much. And that's it for today. Please join us again next week when we're going to try to do this a little bit earlier and a little bit perkier.
1: All right. Okay. Shots fired.
0: Can we, not shots fired, but I'm just saying, can we like make a pledge?
1: Yeah, we can make a pledge. <laughs>
0: you, you don't need to be like that. <laughs> It's because you were literally incoherent the first time we needed, tried recording this. I needed this. a little nap. Okay, well, you got your nap. All right, please join us next week for our next episode on... Mateo, do you know who? Marcus Valerius Corvus. Very nice. By the way, this is our website. Is it? Yeah, if you <laughs> you've never seen it before. I've stumbled upon it. Uh, Marcus Valerius Corvus. Cool dude. Look forward to exploring our next Lost Roman Hero. And that is it for today. Thank you so very much, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye (laughs) Bye-bye.